0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: One of the world's most famous and successful clubs is undertaking a perilous financial gambit just to be able to play their new signings. What on earth is going on with Barcelona? What are economic levers? Why is registering players for La Liga so complicated? Adam Crafton is here to explain all of that and much more. I'm Alex Abnos from The Athletic, and this is Soccer Everyday for Wednesday, August 10th. Okay, of all the news to take place over this past European offseason, I think it's fair to say that no single story has had more layers or more levers, if you prefer, than Barcelona's ongoing financial crisis. It's a story that seems to get a little bit more unprecedented with every passing day. But with La Liga starting in full this weekend, it seems like a good time to try to get some sort of a handle on it. And to that end, I have my colleague Adam Crafton here with me today. Adam, you've been following the Barcelona very closely here at The Athletic, along with a number of our other colleagues, including Paul Ballas, uh, Dermot Corrigan, and a few others. Uh, you helped write a big investigation into the Barcelona situation that was published last week, which is linked in this episode's description, along with a few other relevant pieces. And Adam, I think I know the answer to this question, but in your career covering football or even just watching or following it before that, have you ever seen anything like what's happening at Barcelona before?
2: no and and actually i can't think of even if you just look beyond football into sport wide society i can't remember that many instances of you know a company appearing to be the most <laughs> you know the most high spending um in their industry at a time where they're also probably the company that people are arguably most worried about financially um so it's a real contradiction in terms we know barcelona have a huge amount of debt but then they're also spending a huge amount on incomings at the same time so i think from the outside, those who maybe haven't been following it as closely are just looking at it a little bit in the way that Bayern Munich's uh, head coach, Julian Nagelsmann, said, which was something along the lines of, you know, Barcelona are the only club that appear to have no money and sign every player that they want.
1: It was weird, even just writing that intro, because I called it a Barcelona financial crisis. And I was like, can you call it a crisis if you're still able to buy Robert Lewandowski and Rafinha and all these, all these other players? Um so I think it's important that we set up some context here for anybody that's just coming to the story or has tried to approach this story and is just confounded by the layers here. Uh, let's go back in time a little bit to the start of 2021. Uh, Joan Laporta sort of arrives as Barcelona's president. Uh, he was formerly Barcelona's president, uh, I would say, what, earlier in the 2000s? Um what does he find as he gets into the president's chair what sort of state is barcelona in at the start of 2021
2: yeah and i suppose to strip it right back you know we probably have to make clear barcelona football club is a, is a fan member owned sure. model um so whereas you may have some clubs you know for example uh manchester city owned by uh, a fund linked to a nation state or newcastle owned by a fund link to a nation state and then you have um Clubs like Manchester United owned by the Glazer family who you guys in the States will know uh, from other sports or the cronk or cronker sports and entertainment. So there's sure. these different ownership models and Barcelona are a fan owned model, which in theory should be very democratic because it means every few years, the members, what they call socios or socios are allowed to vote for the president that that they would like to, to lead their club. And it's a, it's an honorary position. It's not a paid position. Um, and what happened was that the previous president uh Jose Maria Bartomeu um had had left yeah you know, it's fair to say under a cloud there'd been all sorts of controversies and investigations and scandals um and eventually he he resigned he was forced out um as as well as resigning it's probably fair to say and the new yeah. president Joan Laporta he came in and you know he he found a really really a huge mess financially the club were something like 1.35 billion in debt um and obviously it will always serve a new president to add a little bit of hyperbole to how bad the inheritance is right as in you know i'm sure i don't want to get into biden trump but i'm sure when biden came in there's an element (laughs) of like look what the last guy left me you know give me this next few years i'm going to do my best to sort it out but we're going to keep on blaming whatever came before that's the way that Democracy works sometimes, isn't it? So I think there was a little bit of exaggeration, but but the, the bare facts were that Barcelona's financial situation was disastrous, right? They'd Even though I think by 2019, they were projecting 1 billion in revenues, they were spending something like 70, 80% of that on player salaries, right? I mean, this is th- these percentages were just off the scale. They're sa- I think that what they were spending on wages in 2019, the most in Europe, was 33% higher than the second place, which was Manchester United. Lionel Messi's contract was leaked, and I think uh, that was around $675 million worth of contract between 2017 and 2021, if you take into account every clause and condition. So that gives an idea of what the inheritance was.
1: Uh, Sort of the main character of of a lot of Barcelona's financial issues this summer, at least, has been Frankie de Jong. How does he fit into all these sort of issues that you're talking about, Adam?
2: Well, Frankie de Jong was, I, I suppose, if you look at Barcelona's squad, they did an analysis of their squad and they looked at who do we have that might be one of those sources of income if we're at a point where the economic levers that we're trying to pull aren't quite enough. And Because Barcelona have quite a lot of options in central midfield, they have Sergio Busquets. They also have young players like Pedri and Gavi who have been through um, or either recruited very young or come through the Barcelona Academy. And as such, Frankie de Jong has been seen as one of those players they can get a lot of money for. And they have big interest from Manchester United who, you know, several weeks ago now agreed a deal worth £85 million uh, to sign Frankie de Jong. Mm -hmm. And Chelsea are also interested, but they've not yet made... An offer. The problem at the moment is Barcelona, in the midst of the COVID crisis, negotiated a new deal with Frankie de Jong, in which they reduced um, his salary temporarily. I think he got something like uh, 2.9 million and then 6 million in, in different seasons. But it means that he's now owed something like 17 million pounds in deferred wages. And right. that is a major sticking point. If he's going to leave the club, him and his agents are arguing you owe this to us and we're not going to leave before you give us that money. And the other part of it is he's really not very unhappy at Barcelona. right? He's he's a really talented player. He enjoys living in Barcelona. He's, I think he's just got engaged. His fiance likes living in Barcelona and he's got a contract and he's saying, I, I want to stay. And I'm not that mad to go to Manchester United where you know the world is falling in on a weekly basis and uh they're not in the in the champions league i think chelsea might would probably be his preference at this point um and that, that's a, it's an ongoing situation
1: so you mentioned player wages as being sort of a really significant driver of barcelona's financial problems i would imagine the COVID 19 and the, and the various you know sort of loss of match day revenue also also played a role there but it's really the spending that's getting them in trouble. And I think it also plays a role in the process of registering players for La Liga, which is another one of these terms that we've seen thrown mm-hmm. around, especially in the last few weeks. You know, Barcelona have signed all these players, but they haven't registered them, thus they can't play. We first hear about this in 2021 with with the signings that they made that off-season. What is the deal with registering players for La Liga? Why is this a thing that we're hearing so much about? Uh, what is necessary to actually get players registered? Uh, in order to play in the league?
2: Yeah, so this goes back around 10 years or so to when La Liga brought in uh, what they they call economic controls. And the idea here is a kind of a form of financial fair play, which we also have um, UEFA, which is the European sports governing body that they impose for clubs who are competing in the, in the Champions League. But this sure. was a domestic Spanish league driven initiative. And and the, the basic principle was a lot of Spanish clubs were debt laden some of them were on the brink of going out of business they were really poorly run and it was kind of the you know either the clubs going to the league or the league saying to the clubs like we actually can't really trust you to run <laughs> yourselves financially right a- and and maintain yourselves you know as, as community assets right we want there still to be all these clubs there for supporters now the, the basic principle of la liga's economic controls is that you know you shouldn't be spending that much more than you're bringing in right like it's not that different to most you know most business concepts you know we we want you to be bringing in really as much as you're uh, as you're taking out now it's so it's kind of like the operational costs and debt repayments being sub uh, being subtracted away from your revenues right so makes a lot it makes a lot of sense right but the, the the actual algorithm itself to be able to register players is super complicated I'm not even going to, it would take us 30, 45, 50 minutes to to go through all the different layers that are associated with it. And all the different things that you can can adjust in there and creatively account for. Exactly. Um, But as I said, the basic principle is you have the revenues and then you're minusing off operational costs each year and also debt repayments. Barcelona have a huge issue with both of those because they have debts you know i said it was 1.35 billion last summer they've also now gone into a i think a 1.5 billion loan from goldman sachs for a big stadium renovation project there was another 550 million euros worth of uh, credit um, when they were restructuring debt i mean depending who you speak to this debt can be anything between one and a half to three billion so in terms of debt repayments barcelona have a big issue in terms of salaries as i explained They've also got a huge issue. So that makes it really difficult at times for them to register new signings unless they take certain steps. Now, one of those steps has been to reduce player salaries where possible. So that's why Lionel Messi left the club last summer. It's another reason why they've been getting rid of players like Philippe Coutinho and Antoine Griezmann beyond. You know, you can talk about underperformance as well, but they were also... Hugely well remunerated players, and they needed to reduce that from the wage bill. We've also seen certain players reduce their wages in in many cases repeatedly. You know, someone like Samuel Umtiti, a central a French central defender. I mean, he has either deferred or reduced his wages now four times right. over the during probably since the start of COVID to help Barcelona's financial situation. And this is a guy who barely plays as well. Um, and then you've got Gerard Piquet, who is the one of their main central defenders, and he reduced his salary last summer so that they could register their new player, Memphis Depay, a Dutch striker. Right. And now again this summer, Gerard Piquet is again being asked to reduce his wages, and I think he's going to agree to do that. So you have on the, the first step, reducing player salaries and basically getting rid of certain players like Messi to, to reduce that burden. You've then got the debt repayments. They're not going anywhere. They have to continue paying those debts. The next stage is how do Barcelona continue to be competitive as you know one of the most recognizable sports teams in the world while at the same time having to make these huge debt repayments? And that leaves them with two options, really. This is what they argue. They say one option is we cut, 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 cut our costs. We spend years in the wilderness and therefore we start becoming quite irrelevant compared to what people know of us as FC Barcelona. Sure. And the other option is we need to invest in order to grow. And if we invest in this in this sports team by spending on players, on, by borrowing money, by selling off assets in order to get short-term cash injections, then it will be this virtuous business model whereby things will improve on the pitch, the commercial revenue will grow even further, the brand becomes even stronger, and then all of these things will fall into place. I'm not saying that's what I necessarily think is a great idea, but that is that appears to be the argument. Invest to grow. It's a, bit, it's, a bit, it's a bit like, I don't know, if a socialist party came to power and said, rather than having a period of austerity in terms of public spending, yeah. we're going to invest into into society and everything will grow as a result. Let's see.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
1: Okay, so by the end of the 21-22 season, Messi is obviously gone. They still have a ton of huge wages on their books. Barcelona does. They finished second in La Liga. They're out in the round of 16 in the Copa del Rey. They're out in the group stage of the Champions League and out in the quarterfinals of the Europa League. Just not a very good season by their standards at all. And around now is, at least for me, where we start hearing a lot about economic levers. (laughs) Uh, Are these basically ways for Barcelona to make up that gap uh, that you were talking about earlier uh, in order to get, get a little bit more revenue so they can... Then invest a little bit more in into this uh, sporting project. I mean, it's the only way they can do it.
2: it yeah, okay. you know, they can't just you can't just endlessly despite despite what it might seem like you can't just continue borrowing, continue borrowing, continue borrowing. So it's some th- 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 and you can't just sell off all your players if you want to remain competitive. Right. I think actually last season they maybe looked at going down that route. They promoted quite a lot of players from the B team and academy. But they finished yours at second or third in the end. They didn't really have an impact on the Champions League. They went out in the group stage. And I think it led to a kind of collective breakdown, really, in the sense of we can't, you know, Real Madrid, their great rivals won the Champions League. We can't just be irrelevant. We have to exist and compete. Now, these levers are fascinating because... You know the the key elements of it is is an agreement with a U.S. In, uh, global investment firm called Sixth Street, and the idea here is to sell off a percentage of their broadcasting uh, television rights for the next twenty five years, and that's and they've now sold twenty five percent of that, and I think they've brought in something like six hundred million euros as a result of that. I was going to
1: say like TV money is is talked all the time about the like sort of the major money. Yeah. revenue stream for yeah. clubs especially like barcelona so the fact that they're selling off that seems incredibly significant
2: they're selling off a quarter of that and to give you know listeners some context into what that means in in, in a in a in a real sense it's barcelona at the moment gets something around between 160 and 170 million euros um yeah. each year and the euro at the moment is very close to the dollar um yeah so you know it's a couple of million in it and um Really, the the idea, so they get around 160, 170 million uh, euros and 25% of that now they will not receive. That will go to Sixth Street. And that will happen for the next 25 years. So that's a big sum of money next, you know, if it's the same sort of figure next year, then that'll be, you know, 40 million, right? That, right. that should be going to the club, but is instead going uh, to Sixth Street. But in return for that, Barcelona have had a load of money front loaded into their, into their bank account which enables them to invest in the squad this summer to pay salaries they, well, they wouldn't otherwise be able to do and also they hope to be able to register them with La Liga. Um, so those were two of the levers. The first one I think was uh, 10%, the second was 15% which brings you to 25%. The third lever is something called Barca Studios which is kind of Barca's in-house audiovisual content, content um, okay. which was founded a couple of years ago that kind of does a load of digital stuff it's moving into nfts metaverse all that stuff which maybe a lot of us hear about we don't fully understand but everyone who's involved in tech tells us he's going to make a shitload of money at some point yeah um so it's still possible that there'll be another stake of that asset which is sold to help them register players ahead of the new season um because as we'll come on to there is now some disagreement between La Liga and Barca over whether these levers are enough in order to be able to register players.
1: Well, so this this exactly leads me to my next question. You've now mentioned three levers, potentially a fourth. How many levers are there? Like at what point is Barcelona just selling basically the entire club for parts to various people? Like is it possible what's the future here? Like is it possible that Barcelona, this club that everybody knows and and many people love is eventually just owned by a collection of people and businesses and conglomerates and things like that?
2: Um, well, if it carries on this way, then yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. If, you're, if you continue to sell assets in the way that they are, I mean, what they would argue is they're not selling the club. You know, they're not selling a percentage of the club here. You know, it's still a fan member-owned model. What they're saying is we're selling a percentage of our incoming revenue Sure, um, and a percentage of businesses that are associated with the club, but I suppose separate businesses.
1: So let's just let's be at the time that we're recording this. Basically, none of their new signings have officially been registered to play in La Liga, and also at the time we're, we're recording this, the La Liga season starts in a matter of days. But let's just assume, because it would be really crazy if this does if they don't end up getting these players registered. Let's assume they get these players registered. Let's assume that Barcelona goes on to win La Liga and the Champions League this season and they get all the revenue and and attention and money that that comes with that. Adam does that fix any of this? Like is is that does that because that would basically prove Barcelona's whole hypothesis. If they were if all these investments were to pay off, they would argue that the plan is working perfectly. But is there like a danger here still?
2: I think I mean, my interpretation is there's there's a really big danger because, you know, okay, they've got this cash injection. We're not sure how much of it is being used on debt repayments. So is it, you know, is a lot of it just being plowed into squad built, team building? Um, I'm sure some of it will be used to, you know, to, to, to pay off some debts. Um, but the I suppose the risk here is, in what we discussed at the very start, where you have this democratic model of ownership, Which, on the one hand, is a really good thing. You know, if you have a, you know, like the last uh, president who was really unpopular and they wanted him out and he was eventually forced to resign, that's quite a good thing. The the flip side is you always have someone in there who's trying to get another term. So he's making big promises and has to win during his presidency. There's a lot, it means there's a lot of very short term thinking because no one wants to be the president that sort of just lets Barcelona drift. They want to be the president that wins La Liga, that gets to a Champions League final, that signs famous players and makes big promises. Um, So I think that there is a lot of risk. I think the risk will be transferred to maybe not even the next president, but the president that comes after that. Because who knows where Barcelona will be in 10, 15 years and what that percentage of that 25% of TV revenue will mean for the club at that point, the, the other—I is won't necessarily call this a lever—but the other ongoing issue is Barcelona are still one of three clubs committed to a European Super League, and that the, they are currently engaged with a legal battle with UEFA um, in the European courts. And I think there is still this this hope that a European Super League, which will come along, which will mean a huge spike in revenue uh, and a huge a huge amount of investment that would go into the club. For what it's worth, I think that's miles off, but yeah. it's still something that's being spoken about by people that are in power and matter at Barcelona. So right. yeah, huge risk. You know How much, how much difference does it really make to a, to a brand the size of Barcelona, whether they finish first or second in La Liga in terms of what they can do from a revenue point of view? Okay, you get a bit more from the league for winning. Maybe you get a few bonuses from your kit sponsors, but does it change the world? Probably not um and then even from the champions league point of view okay you might you might win the champions league that's a big deal and you'll get you know an extra 50 million or so from uefa for doing so but again like it t- doesn't fundamentally change what's already a hugely successful brand um so i think i think it is laced with a lot of risk and the f- sorry the final thing i would say is they put a lot of risk here into xavi a legend of a of a footballer for barcelona quite an inexperienced coach really he's coached in Qatar for a couple of years and um, has had sort of a season at Barcelona so far he's been okay I think the players like him but yeah he's not Pep Guardiola and they put a huge amount of trust in him and also these new signings you know Lewandowski I think three or four year contracts he's been given and he's 34 next month I mean it's like it's a pretty you know for him to be the headline signing it's not like they're signing cristiano ronaldo age 24 and he's got 10 years ahead of him where he's going to score 40 goals every season so a lot of risk involved um, but it's the story that everyone is talking about in european football at the moment
1: and i'm sure they will continue to talk about it and as things develop we might have to have you back to explain whatever <laughs> whatever the sixth or seventh or eighth lever happens to be uh until then adam crafton thank you so much for coming on the show today
2: it's a pleasure.
1: As mentioned at the top of the show, Adam's investigation into Barcelona, how we got here, is linked in the show's description, along with some updates on what the fourth economic lever might possibly be and why registering players in La Liga is so complicated. Before we go, your TV guide for today, All Times Are Eastern, we have two kind of interesting Games over in Europe today at 2.45 p.m. in the League Cup Sheffield Wednesday taking on Sunderland. That is on ESPN Plus or DAZN in Canada. And at 3 p.m., the European Super Cup. That is the winner of the Europa League and the winner of the Champions League from last season. Facing off against each other for a trophy. That means uh, it's debatable how much it means, but it should be an interesting game. Real Madrid versus Eintracht Frankfurt. That is going to be on CBS Sports Network and Paramount Plus in the United States and DAZN in Canada Later on tonight, we have some interesting games. First in the NWSL at 7.30 p.m. Washington Spirit versus Portland Thorns. These are two teams heading in opposite directions. Washington Spirit struggling to win it all. Portland Thorns currently on top of NWSL. That will be on Paramount Plus or Twitch if you're pretty much anywhere else in the world. Also in Copa Libertadores, we have the second leg of some quarterfinals tonight. Talleres Cordoba versus Vélez Sarsfield. That is gonna be on BN Sports. Vélez is up 3-2 in that one, kind of an exciting tie. And then also at 8.30 p.m., Palmeiras versus Atlético Mineiro. Everything to play for there, it's 2-2 on aggregate. Again, both of those games are on BN Sports. And last, but certainly not least, at 8.30pm, the MLS All-Star game, which features the MLS All-Star team versus the Liga MX All-Stars. That is going to be on ESPN, TUDN, if you prefer to watch in Spanish in the United States, also on TSN and TVA in Canada. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman. With help from John Hayes, you can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic. Thank you so much for listening, and happy soccer to you all.